Matthew chapter 16. We saw in the last part of chapter 15 that Jesus went beyond the border of Israel and he taught his disciples and he taught people. He reached out to people beyond the border of Israel. And, and we see and we saw through that that his greater plan was to reach the whole world. And we know it in John 3.16, God so loved the whole what? World. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The, the, the message in the gospel is for all. We also saw that, that uh, Jesus commended this Canaanite woman who was not a, an, uh, a Jewish person for her great faith. Why? Because she had this incredible perseverance and she had a humility as well. She came to Jesus and, and she would not leave him alone. She would not be sent away. She would not give up. She would not quit. And, and Jesus said, man, you've got some great faith. And he didn't see that in some of the other people around him. We also saw Jesus, and this was a lesson, I think, for me and for all of us, reminding the disciples to remember what he's done in the past and trust him in the present. He fed the 5,000 plus, and then they had this other opportunity or problem, if you will, 4,000 plus now and, and no, no food to feed them and, and they you know, start to hit that panic button. Remember what he has done in the past and trust him in the, in the present. Today I want to talk about the weather. How many of you are hooked on the weather forecasts? Be honest. Be honest. How many of you like the weather channel is like on all the time? And you see those same loops over and over again, but it doesn't matter. You're just going to keep watching them. It's like, i got to see the next loop, and it's the same as it was like for the last hour. You have weather bug on your computer. Weather.com. You know, all these things. We're, we're like weather fanatics. It's, you know, it's just the way it is, right? Let's all open the windows and look outside, and we'll have a look. Let's see. What happened before they had all this, this technology, before they had all the computer and the TV and, and uh, the radio? Well, what they would do is what you and I should do, right? Go outside and look and see. And we're going to see that's what kind of what happens. Jesus says it in this, in this uh, section here. But the point is that we're so concerned about the weather, we're almost consumed by it. If it's hot, we complain. If it's cold, we complain, right? We're never happy with it anyways, I think we're just looking for something to talk about. If, if you meet somebody you don't know, what, what do you start to talk about? The weather, of course. It's like that's our common ground. I wonder if it's like that like way up in the Siberia, you know. I, I remember talking to a missionary, and, you know, if you, it was so cold, and this was inside their house, that if you spilled some water or something, it would be frozen but, you know, by the time it hit the floor. And they, they lived there. I mean, did they talk about the weather up there? It's like, no. Here, here in New England, though, um, you, know, you know what they say about the weather, right? Wait a, few minutes, Wait a few minutes, it'll change. But you know what is really cool? This is so cool. We have what we call weather watchers. And if you just call in, you'll get your name on the TV set. Man, that is cool, isn't it? Wow. My name on the TV set. I'm, I'm famous now because I'm a weather watcher. But James Boyce, a pastor from Philadelphia, he's since passed away, 
But he said these words, he says, wouldn't Jesus say to us if he were here to speak to us directly, you know how to forecast the weather, but you cannot interpret the times in which you live. He says, I came and I died for sin. I have been raised from the dead. And all that means nothing to most of you. You worry about whether it's going to rain tomorrow, but you don't give a single serious thought to where you'll spend eternity. I'm so worried about what's going to happen in the weather today, but what about eternity? Are we looking at the signs? Are we thinking about the forecast? Are we seeing what the forecast is here in God's Word? It tells us what's coming. It tells us what the forecast is. We spend more time watching the Weather Channel than we do listening to God's channel. That's what we see in this passage today. Look at verse 1, chapter 16. It says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came to Jesus and they tested Him by asking Him to show them a sign from heaven. They wanted a sign from heaven. Now these two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were actually opponents. They really did not like each other very much at all. But here they gathered together to come and test Jesus, to come and attack Him, really. The Pharisees, just so you know, because it kind of has plays in with what Jesus says about, about these guys, the Pharisees were, they were like legalists. They, they, you know, they would study the law and, and keeping the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders. They're the ones that added all these things. And, and everything was about works and follow everything you know, to the letter. That was their thing. Religion, basically. But the, the Sadducees, now these guys, they were kind of like on the other end of the spectrum. They're more liberal. They're the liberal faction. They, they denied almost everything. They denied angels and spirits and resurrection. They denied anything past this life. They were way more worldly. They only believed in the five books of Moses, none of the other prophets or writings. They're more political, more involved in those kinds of things. Does that kind of sound familiar to any of you? The Sadducees. This is kind of dumb, but you know, that's why they're so sad, you see. Right? I didn't make that one up. <laughs> What's so funny about that? <laughs> they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. They wanted evidence, they wanted proof that he was the Messiah, that he was the prophet, the true prophet that would come from God, that he was the son of God, the one that was coming to, to be the answer to all of, of mankind's needs. But we kind of looked at this before, all the things that he had already done. How much more do we need? How much more do you need? As if he had not done enough already. When John the Baptist, you know, he heard in prison, we looked at this in Matthew 11, what Christ was doing. He says he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. And those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. What? All these things that he had done, yet they come to him. You see, there was something about an attitude, right, of what, what, what their, their, it's almost like their minds were made up already, right, when they came to Jesus. The Gospel of Mark says that when, when they came to him, it says, and he, and he heard this, it says, Jesus sighed deeply. 
Like, how much more of this do I have to, to put up with? How much more of this do I have to listen to? They did not come to, to, to have him prove that he was, but they wanted to prove that he wasn't the Son of God. They already had that. Their minds were made up. Kind of makes you think, though, about this idea, you know, is it wrong or is it right to ask God to give you a sign? You know, they came saying, you know, give us a sign from heaven. But yet we see in different places, like the book of, of uh, Judges, where Gideon, right, he asked God for a sign from heaven, and God answered him four times. Actually, the last time God told him, I'm going to give you a sign. The first three, Gideon asked. The fourth time, God said, I'm going to give you a sign, because I know you're still kind of like, you know, you still kind of don't get it. You're still not ready to understand. And then we see what Gideon did. So when I was thinking about this, I think it really is where our hearts are at. It really is where our hearts are at. What, what kind of uh, an attitude do we have? Do we, are we just trying to, you know, um, you know, with a real negative mindset about who he is, like these Pharisees and Sadducees? Or, or our hearts are just, re- we really, God, we really want to know. We really want to know you. We really want to understand. And it's that more of a a real searching and and a desire. When I came to know Jesus, you know, and again, part of it is our own ignorance, but when I came to Jesus, I said, said, Lord, you know, I didn't understand much. I said, "If, if you really are who they say you are, then show yourself to me. Prove yourself to me. I want to know. And you know what he did? He answered that prayer, and, 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 and he came into my life and changed my life. He answered that, that heartfelt cry, you see. So I don't think it's wrong for us to ask God to show us, Lord, help us to understand this. Show us some way, somehow to, to, to get through. But it, it, what, what the difference is, is, is what he says later, this wicked and adulterous generation looking for miraculous signs. It's, it's where's our hearts at? They came to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Verse 2, Jesus replied, When evening comes, and he knows why we come too, by the way, and he knows where our hearts are at. When evening comes, you say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning. Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. This is way before Doppler, right? And again, that's where you, do, you go out, and if it was like this at night, you go, oh, well, tomorrow it's going to be like this. Or if you go out in the morning, it's like this. Oh, wow, the day's going to be like this. But the point he's saying is you pay more attention to the weather than the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus Messiah. He says, you know how to look at the sky and, and that, but what about the signs of the times? The signs of the times. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The signs of the times. There were signs of the times then, and there are signs of the times now, today, too. The first was for the, the, the coming and, and the, the revealing of Jesus Christ for us now, though it's for the return. The coming of Jesus, his miracles, his love, him fulfilling the prophecies. The truth was, they had the sign the ultimate sign standing right in front of them. Jesus was standing right in front of them. The most 
incredible sign of all, this Jesus who, who was doing all these incredible things, who, who came and, and loved them incredibly, standing right in front of them, and they said, show us something else. Show us something else. You know, give us a sign. What more do we need, though? Look at verse 4, as I quoted part of it already. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a, a, ma- a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And Jesus then left them and went away. In other words, he said no, right? They wanted a miraculous sign, and what did he say? He said no. I'm not going to do what you want. I'm not going to give in to your demands. Why? Because your hearts are in the wrong place. Your hearts aren't looking and, and following after me. But he did point ahead to something, did he not? And what, did he, what was he pointing ahead to when he talked about the sign of Jonah? Right, the cross, his death and the resurrection. Jonah, who was you know, in the belly of the whale. We already looked at this in a previous section. And then he, he comes up out of the whale, and it's a, it's a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, pointing ahead to the cross that it would come. Paul, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that Jews demand miraculous signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. Some, you know, they're all about, I want to see the power. And others, you know, I want to I get the wisdom. I want to hear, you know, it's all up here. But Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It's all about the cross, folks. We're going to partake of communion in just a few minutes. It's all about the cross. I can't take you anywhere else. I can't take you anywhere else. You can can know all about a lot of things in this world. Be very, very smart, very very intelligent. You know, know a lot of things about, uh, uh, you know, powerful things and wisdom and, and intelligence, but, but, but it's all about the cross. He says, we preach Christ crucified. That's where we go. Romans chapter 1, Paul says that, that Jesus, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was, that was the sign. He was declared with power to be the Son of God through this resurrection. Jesus, it says here, He then left them and He went away. He then left them and he went away. You and I, we are after the cross. The cross has already happened. What more do we need? You know, it's this idea of if I, if I see, I'll believe. Thomas, doubting Thomas, we call him, right? Unless I see those marks, those wounds, I won't believe, he says. I won't believe. I will not believe it. John Corson, a pastor in in Oregon, he said this, miracles never convert a person. You could see a hundred miracles. But if your heart's not wanting to be saved by Jesus Christ, you're not going to be saved. You could see miracle after miracle after miracle. He says they can can satisfy a a person's curiosity, but they'll never bring him into a born-again salvation experience. The world says, if I, can, if I can see it, then I'll believe it. The Bible says, if you believe it, you'll see it. It's a different, it's a, you know, different. He says, signs and wonders can confirm the scripture, but only, conf- only faith 
Only faith can convert the sinner. How many of you heard of Voltaire? It says about Voltaire, this famous French infidel, says he was so bitter towards Christianity, it was claimed that he said, and I'm quoting John Corson here, even if a miracle should be wrought in the open marketplace before 1,000 sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit that a miracle took place. So you could see all the miracles, you could see all this stuff happen, but if your heart's not open to the gospel of Jesus, you're, you're, you're gonna, not, nothing's going to happen. Such is the mentality, he says, of the skeptic, the sinner, the non-believer. Interestingly, though, Voltaire also said, in 100 years from now, Christianity will be a thing of the past, and the only Bibles will be in museums. But 20 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house to be used to print the Bible. And later it became the Paris headquarters of the British and Foreign Bible Society. You can't stop God's word. You can't stop the gospel. doesn't matter how many uh, infidels and unbelievers there are, skeptics. Let's move on to verse 5. It says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. How many of you forgot your lunch today? <clears throat> we have a bake sale to, to help with that. <laughs> Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeast. Be, be careful. What, what was he talking about? Was he talking about yeast? Look at verse 7. It says that they discussed this among themselves. And they said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. It is because we didn't bring any bread. They thought it was about bread. And how many times do you and I, you know, we're like onto the material plane, but we're like totally missing. We got to go a little deeper than that. They kind of didn't catch the whole thing between Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees. They, it was like Jesus was saying to them, don't buy any bread from the Pharisees and the Sadducees because their yeast is bad. And Jesus goes like, what is wrong with you people? That's what he says over and over in the next few verses. Like, what is wrong with you? Don't you get it? Verse 8, he says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the, or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I'm not talking? I was not talking to you about bread. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood he was not talking. He was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says to them, you have little faith. You've got to kind of understand that, you know, his, his demeanor and his tone with them as, as opposed when he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Very different than when he's talking to his disciples. You have little faith. This is like the fourth time in this gospel that he has said that to them, by the way. The first time in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, talking about God providing, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he says to them, he says to them you know, if God clothes the grass of the field, will he not 
much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Chapter 8, he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? When, the, when they were out and the storm was there. And then um, in Matthew 14, where Peter was out on the water, right, walking, it says, it says immediately, when he looked around at the circumstances, he began to sink, it says immediately, Jesus reached out his hand to him and caught him, and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't think he was like railing on them, though. I really don't. Warren Wiersbe, you know, said this, little faith is better than no faith. And there's the guy in the, another part of the gospel, uh, the gospels that, you know, he says, I believe. Right, but what else did he say? Help thou mine unbelief. I believe, but... Oh, ye of little faith. The message really is, is not to beat us down, but it's to tell us, trust me. You got to trust me. Your faith needs to grow, and, and when faith grows, it, it means we trust him through all those difficulties, through all those trials. And in this particular case, you know, trust him. Bread is not a big deal. I'm not getting down on you because you forgot to bring your lunch. You've got you to pay a little more attention. It's a little deeper than that. It's a little deeper. He says, be on your guard against the teaching, against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Watch out for this false teaching. Watch out. Be on your guard. You need to be careful what you hear. Not everything you hear is going to be truth. You know, this saying that all truth is God's truth. Well, some of it is not even true, but they say it's God's truth, and it's like nonsensical. There's a lot of false teaching out there. The Pharisees, as I said earlier, talking about them, their whole thing was what? Legalism. And there are groups out there, you know, that you need to do this, you need to dress like this, you need to talk like this, you need to do everything that we do, and otherwise you are not going to make it. And that's legalism, that's false teaching. It's not based on grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Not by works, lest any man should both, uh, boast. Jesus said in, in, about the Pharisees that their yeast was what? I tested with you about this a, f- a month or two ago, and and nobody remembered, but let's see if anybody does this time. Hypocrisy. Who got that? All right, man. I'm going to buy you a cookie. You weren't here that day, were you, that last time we, we had this test? There, he said that the yeast of the Pharisees was hypocrisy, and so you've got these guys teaching these things that you've got to be perfect like this, and yet they weren't. And that's hypocrisy, isn't that? Putting on a mask, putting on a face, acting. And the Sadducees, on the other hand, again, the liberals, I think that's way more common in our day today. Way more common in our day today. Where these churches, you know, they, they pretty much, you know, they, they have thrown out really the, the clear teaching of what the Bible says and they, you know, like anything goes and it's all relative and it's all, you know, well, let's see how I feel about it and, and what I think about it. And I'll, you know, kind of like, let's be fluid. There's so many denominations now where when the Bible says X, they'll say, well, you know, it kind of means like, I think, I think it means, and so that's how we're going to kind of interpret that now. And it's black and white a certain way. So many denominations, so many aberrant groups, and, and this whole emergent thing now, this emergent church, 
have, they, they've just watered down the truth of the scripture and they're, they're heading in that way you know, to kind of try to fit in with the world. Those are Sadducees. He says, watch out. Be on your guard. You will, you will miss the truth about Jesus. That's what he was saying to them here. You can get so sidetracked on all these things, but, but, but miss the truth that's standing right in front of you. The truth of Jesus himself. There was a man named Char, uh, William Barclay. I was going to say Charles Barclay, but no, not Charles Barclay. I don't know what he would say about this. William Barclay said that God's sign is Jesus himself and his message. He says that it is as if he said to them, in me you are confronted with God and the truth of God. What more could you possibly need? He says, but you are so blind you cannot see it. William Barclay says there's truth and there's warning here. Jesus Christ is God's last word. Beyond Jesus Christ, the revelation of God cannot go. And when we are confronted with Jesus Christ, we are confronted with God's last and final word, a word, <clears throat> excuse me, and God's ultimate appeal. That's where we're going to end today. That's where we're going to stop right now. It's about Jesus. He's standing right in front of you. It's not about the weather. It's not about forgetting your lunch. It's not about, you know, who's going to win the Patriots game today. <laughs> Some of you, that's what you're thinking about right now. <laughs> I got to get out of here. I don't even know what time the game starts. Is it 1? 1? 1.15. Oh, 4.15. You guys relax, relax. I got all kinds of time here. It's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's never going to be about anything else in terms of us, people, human beings, the human race, standing in front of us. He says, I love you. He says, I gave my life for you. Will you follow me? Do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Will you follow me? That's, that's the message for you and I today. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. Maybe you, you've been a believer for 35, 45 years. He still says the same thing. What, what I've seen is actually the people who've been believers the longest are, are actually the, the, the kind of the least excited, the least fired up. And the people who have just given their hearts to Christ, they're fired up, they're ready to go, ready to get in there and tell others. But I think we can all be at that point. I believe we all need to be at that place through our walks with Jesus, through being in his word and in fellowship and challenging one another and realize that he's, that he's standing right there in front of us and he's given us his spirit. And the, the, the most exciting things of life are serving him. Today, forget about tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Today is the day. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come and we bow our hearts. We bend our knees for the truth of Jesus and who Jesus is. We come and we think about that cross. We think about that cross that, that you gave your life. You told those Pharisees and Sadducees, you're not going to be a puppet for them. You're not going to, you know, answer their demands, but, but, but the sign of the, of, of the prophet Jonah looking ahead to that cross. It's what you did for us. 
So I want to say as we pray now, as our hearts are, are quiet, still before him, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, is there, is there anybody here want, you, you would like to pray to Jesus Christ to be your Savior for the very first time? Father God, we come before the cross. that great leveler of all mankind, the cross. We're all the same before the cross. We come and worship you. Father, we come and we say, Lord, have your way. Not my will, but yours be done. And we thank you and we worship you for the cross, what you did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.